It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Points to show for it on the board. Second and five. Again, touchdown. Marty Booker. Doesn't get a bounce. Oh, there's a high hop. It is a pile up inside midfield. Let's see who comes up with the football. There's ball. Watch the ball. It does not take a good hop, so no Brown defender can come up and catch it. Now it goes in the air. Percy Ellsworth hits it. Jerry Azuma knocks it out of the hands. Kick. Bears are out of timeouts. Got to take the time. Steps up. Going to go for it all in the end zone. Jump ball. Caught. It's caught. James Allen was there for the tip. Shane Matthews stepping up in the pocket, allowed the receivers to get in the end zone, create the tip for the catch by James Allen. In the lineup now for Cleveland. Couch out of the shotgun. Throws. That's batted into the air. Intercepted, and the Bears are going to win it. Mike Brown has done it again. Hey Browns, Mike Polk, season ticket holder. Killer game in Houston today. Well thank God we built you. What a blessing for the community. You are wasting valuable space on our majestic shoreline and what do we get out of it from you? Ten miserable games a year including two preseason games that I have to pay for and one shitty Kenny Chesney concert. Do you understand that it is actually statistically harder for a team to be this consistently bad than it is for them to occasionally accidentally be good? The probability is staggering. Did you happen to see that Packers Chargers game today? It's like they're playing a different sport than you are. And here's what you have to understand. We don't even expect you to be good. We just want you to be watchable. Do you have any idea how low our expectations are? We don't expect you to win the Super Bowl. We just want you to look better than a Division III high school team. And listen, I know that there are way more important things in life than football, but you are supposed to be our pleasant distraction from those things. But all we do is pay you money to put us in a bad mood every week. You are a factory of sadness! I'll see you Sunday. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Good, Andy. How are you? I'm terrific. Bears are on a uh, one-game winning streak. They uh, don't have a red-headed quarterback anymore, and they're off to play their former former preseason arch-rivals, the Cleveland Browns. 
I'm not even sure what you're referring to, but I will tell you that just like with, or no, I will tell you that the Browns are one of the few teams I've not seen in person in a regular season game, but I did see them in preseason. Um, so, but you're referencing something that I don't, I'm not quite for, grasping. For many years, up until recently, for whatever reason, the Bears and Browns seem to always play the last preseason game against each other. The one nobody ever wanted to go to. I just block out preseason yep. games. I didn't even know that. Well, I was thinking of that when I was looking at the... You know, so these are these are old franchises, right? The Browns go back. Yep. Do you know how many times they've Seven. played? Well, I have a guess because I was pondering it after playing the Bengals and, you know, realizing that because they're in the AFC, they nowadays only can only play every four years used to be every three years. But uh, I would almost guess that they haven't played the Browns that much more than the Bengals in spite of the fact that they predate the AFL and they've been in the NFL since 1950. There's not much history there. So the bears and Bengals, that was the, that was the 12th matchup. Is that right? On Sunday? I believe that's correct. I think the Bears had a 6-5-0 and o advantage, which they pushed to 7-5-0. The Browns and, Bengals have, or Browns and Bears have played more, but not a lot more. Less this will be 20, the right? 17th time. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised to probably, because they don't, they, we don't. Well, and for whatever reason, they only played once in the 70s. Well, they only put the Bengals once in the 70s, so I don't, I'm still trying to figure out Who what was going on with the schedule. Well, as, as well as I, uh, and we talked about this, as well as I had the schematic, the formula down for how schedules work beginning in 79 with a, with a 28-team league and a 16-game schedule. It was very logical somewhat. I can't account for how they did it in the 70s. I can only tell you that they played the Bengals one time, and I'm guessing the Browns one time, maybe the Steelers – one time, I, I mean, were they playing the Raiders a lot? I don't know. I haven't gotten to the bottom of it. But for some reason or another, they haven't played. Uh, they didn't play AFC Central teams, the four-team uh, four conference, four-team division, I'm sorry, I should say. And that's also funny because Cleveland and Pittsburgh, of course, were two of the old NFL teams that uh, that joined all of the nascent AF formerly AFL teams that currently you know that comprise the American Football Conference. So at least since since the 1970 season, I guess they haven't had a lot of cause to meet that often. But the Bears don't have much history with either the Browns and the Steelers. They go back further with the Browns, but the reason they don't have a history with the Browns is just, or I mean, sorry, the Steelers. The Bears don't have much of a history with the Steelers, even though they go back to 1920. And Hal is loaning money to Art or Art Rooney, winning money at a on a horse at the horse track and buying the Steelers. Is that the Steelers were so historically perennially awful for about five right before the Super Bowl era? Uh, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we cover Pittsburgh. So, but it is odd. It's odd that the Bears and Browns they have uh, a very storied decade that were actually subsequent to one another. Bears in the '40s, Browns in the '50s. They go back, but they they very rarely uh, cross paths. But there are a lot of similarities. So, who do you do you know who leads the series? Um, it's close. So it's, I guess it's a crapshoot. Yeah, I nine I don't know. nine and seven. I'm going to guess the Browns. The Browns. Although yeah. the Bears have won three in a row and four out of five. Is that right? Yes. So 
So what, what's interesting about kind of diving into the Browns, Andy, a week after doing the Bengals is I, um, you know, I know that we call you, you've talked about this before. We, this is re- remember this crap, not research this crap, but subsequent to uh, the show we did last week, I'm discussing Paul Brown. I sort of found myself going down the, uh, the Wikipedia rabbit hole and, uh, and learned a few things. And I thought, uh, since we're in this sort of continuation, we're kind of in the Paul Brown series. I wanted to sort of drill a little bit deeper because you made a couple of observations that I thought were spot on. Uh-huh. Uh, but then also when I wanted, well, the one thing that was spot on that you came across was the, so the parallels between the current day Brown family and the current day descendants of George Hallis. And then, but that is, that's as, as it pertains to uh, the Bengals more, more so than the Browns. Yes. Uh, and that's completely valid. And it's also valid about well, how the Browns are now owned by truck stop magnet, Jimmy, not magnet magnate. I mean, you can get a magnet at a truck stop. Sure. Jimmy Haslam. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I didn't know he was a truck stop. So he's like TNA or uh, what's the, some of the <laughs> flying J. Oh yeah, I know the flying J. I've seen mm-hmm. a few of those in, in Michigan. Um, okay, no, but and actually, that's going to get me to my point too. The one discovery I made. So that was that was a good observation. The other one of the, the he's kind of a little bit of a George Hallis type in his own right. Uh, another good observation. But then one thing that I, I made the discovery, and I, and I felt it was appropriate to set the record straight because it, it's kind of opens up the world to a, kind of a more even a more fascinating tale, is that in fact Paul Brown, unlike what we both assumed and a lot of people did, much like George Hallis, was the owner of the Cleveland Browns, and he never really was. Um, it, it's just you know it's funny because you think well they're named the Browns this and that, and we kind of assume it to be like Hallis, uh, and you know they- Hallis' story. Weren't they named in honor of him? Well, that's it. So, so Paul Brown uh, grew up in Ohio, born in 1908. He, you know, he played football. Was around in the 20s when he was he was a kid. Massillon, Washington High School, and then he uh, he enrolls at Ohio State, but he's too small to play quarterback. He transfers to Miami of Ohio, and he plays a lot alongside uh, Weeb Eubank at Miami of Ohio. He graduates. And then he goes into coaching high school football at his alma mater and turns him into this powerhouse. I think that at one point he went 80 wins, eight losses, and one tie at the Ohio State University uh, in a controversial move that uh, uh, was actually somewhat presaged a few decades later by Notre Dame hiring another Ohio football legend in high school, Jerry oh, Faust. God, yes. uh, but Ohio State hired uh, this Paul Brown character who then led the university to their the school's first ever national title in his second season, 42. He ends up uh, doing World War II is going on. He um, gets assigned as a lieutenant, and then he's out at North Chicago at the Great Lakes Naval Base coaching that team where George Hallis had played for that team in the 1918 Rose Bowl, and he was the MVP. Uh, Hallis, just by comparison's sake, uh, and for any Bears fans that might not know it, and sometimes I forget it, but, you know, Hallis – uh, himself was, you know, he was the son of immigrants from the West side of Chicago, born in 1895. He's 13 years older than Paul Brown, but, uh, obviously a, a special individual, a smart guy, he graduates from Illinois where he plays football, uh, gets a d- degree in civil engineering. And then he enlists or he gets, he goes into the Naval reserves. He plays for great lakes. Like I said, plays in the 1918 Rose bowl becomes MVP two years. The next year he's playing a few games in right field. The New York Yankees, of course. There's a baseball reference page for George Hallis. He himself propagated the myth that Babe Ruth um, succeeded him, but anybody that has access to the baseball reference will see that 
George Staley Hales is two for 22. 1919 uh, didn't really make him the right fielder. Nevertheless, a year after that, when he's only 25, he's playing football, working for A.E. Staley, a grain manufacturer downstate in Decatur, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and whatever savings or loans he took out, Hallis cobbled together enough to sort of buy in and then sort of buy out Staley. And he was the outright owner, you know, even though obviously it was a different playing field because in 1921, He's buying low. The NFL is still kind of a rogue league, but whatever resource Hallis had, he was the outright owner, um, you know, at the age of like 26 and the rest is history built the wealth there. Paul Brown, a little bit different despite having some similarities and playing, you know, and coaching the great lakes. But at this point when the war ends and he's supposed to go back to Ohio state, cause he was on leave for great lakes. He's, you know, at this point, Paul Brown's 37, 38, but then he takes up uh, this offer uh, by this taxi cab magnet, a quick character uh, named Mickey McBride, who was born in Chicago and may have had mob connections. Hmm. Uh, that was the, he was the, he was the owner, he was the financer, but he did. Uh, he, he rallied around Brown's image. He was Brown was already a legend. He was a high school legend. He leads Ohio State to the title. So Brown managed to build on that sort of his own brand and also had enough to buy in for fifteen percent, but. He was never more than a 15% owner in the Browns, uh, just to wrap up this long-winded history, but I I did find it interesting. Uh, McBride sold the Browns after, like, the 53 season, and, you know, at this point, Brown had won five, five, four AAFC titles. He had already won two NFL titles. He took the league by storm after they joined. uh, The Browns played in six straight championships games, championship games as soon as they joined the NFL. They were a powerhouse. Brown was a legend. And he did sort of um, you know, leverage his, his his position, even with change of ownership. Uh, they, they changed ownership again in 61 when Art Modell, a 35-year-old New York ad man, uh, acquired the team. And Modell gave Paul Brown an eight-year contract and uh, but fired him two years later and uh, bought him out for 500000 And so he was in exile for five years. Uh, I played a lot of golf, and I think the, Wiki, the Wikipedia articles points out that uh, Brown, it was said that only um, Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer made more money playing golf. So he built, he did build his wealth, and he bought back into the Rams for I think a thirty percent share. And eventually, they they he they were able to, you know, he got up to that Hallis level. But it was a slightly different history, uh, history and I just thought it was worth mentioning because I, I found it uh, I found it pretty pretty interesting. You know, they they have his name. Uh, but he never was, in fact, really the primary owner. But he was obviously a larger-than-life um, presence that you know kind of accounted for all that. It's a, it's a terrible nickname. <laughs> it is. It's the worst caller. I mean, on the spectrum. So I think, <laughs> I think two of the worst nicknames. When you, when you, if you actually sit and think about what they are, can the I Browns, the which one? is a color. Yeah. Packers? Can you guess the other one? Is it Packers? Well, the Packers, is, no. that's pretty dumb. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, what did you have in mind? The White Sox. Okay. White Sox. At least that's Red your Sox fucking, that's color. your nickname? <laughs> yeah, at least the Red Sox is a color. <laughs> Not I mean, the absence. Calling color. yourself after Sox is dumb. I mean, of course, there were, we had the Cincinnati Reds. Red stockings at one point when they didn't want to be. Well, that was, right. That was during the communist scare. That was the only reason they added stockings. But you're right. There's a lot of dumb stuff. Yeah. yeah the in the old, in the olden days. Now, but yeah, so, Browns. Uh, and I don't know, like if if, if Brown there is a little bit ambiguous as to whether or not he 
he truly did not have the ego and was humbled and didn't want them to be the Browns. That's one story, or maybe he passive aggressively played behind the scenes and manipulated so he could get that glory. But he was on record as being against the name, uh, as it turns out. Well, that's weird. I mean, he kind of, I mean, I, kind of I, believe I, your there own was probably take- a time when. You could have got enough meatball bear fans to go. I think it, it would be a good idea to be the Ditkas. I mean, come on. He played. For, he's a Hall of Fame player. He's a Hall of Fame coach. The, he won a Super the, Bowl. The fighting Ditkas. It's like the leprechaun, but Ditkas. He gave me a. He gave me an angioplasty in the back of the steakhouse. At least that's what he called it. <laughs> well, like so, the Bears now Angie the- Angie Oplasty. That's, I'll write that up. That, that could be a character in season two of Chicago Party. Chicago Ant. Party Ant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she <laughs> runs. She runs a bar. Angie Oplasty runs a that's good. runs a bar. That's a free one. If they're listening, they yeah, can have you it. You can have that one for free. That's good. You know, it's funny that the Chicago the, the the Decatur, and then for one year the Chicago Staley's. It's funny that George Halas's middle name is Staley, right? But that's a coincidence because it was A. E. Staley was the. Isn't it, is it Staley of, or is it Stanley? I always thought it was Stanley. Is it George Stanley here? I mean, I, it's maybe one of those things that I just couldn't ever get straight for whatever. Yeah, it's Stanley. Uh, it is Stanley. Well, the N, the right. N is silent. Thank you. Right. I'm going to call him Staley. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna ignore uh, A.E. Staley, uh, downstate uh, grain magnet or whatever he was, and uh, assign that to Papa Bear. He was some asshole who owned a grain elevator and had a little spare cash, and he sponsored a football team. I mean, it's no—it's funny how the the NFL, like the Acme Packers and the um, and the Decatur Staleys, it would be like it's like now going to get a sponsor for a softball team. Right, company softball. That's exactly what they were doing. <laughs> I know it I mean, was. Chico, it was. I mean, we were this close to having to grabbing the Bears having to fly out to California to go play Chico's bail box. <laughs> <laughs> That's a matchup I'd like to see with Walter Man with Butterfinger in the, in the dugout. I, <laughs> but, That's true. Butterfinger's a different thing. But, um, yeah. Well, now that they already have, which I think is the dumbest thing. Talk about a talk about a ridiculous sponsorship. You can sponsor a patch on their practice jerseys. Like NASCAR? Oh, on, but on practice jerseys. on Bears practice. Who, who, how many people who, see no, that? Right, like the whole point of uh, of that would be exposure. I mean, they're getting to the point where the NBA's got it. Baseball's been talking about it, you know. And if I was, if I had a lot of money, just to be fun, like I would, even if I, did, I would, I would pay to have somebody wear Chico's bail bonds on their jersey, just because. Just if I had just enough yeah. money, I was like, this will be funny. Here's a patch. Here's your four million dollars, whatever it is, for the season. Right. You're gonna wear this patch. Just burn it. I like it. I like but, so it. So, to me, there's a lot of parallels between the teams, and they're mostly bad. Um, greatest quarterback in Browns history. So I actually did look this up. I, I've kind of, I've kind of had a little bit of a hobby in, uh, and I don't have it mentally cataloged. But the, you know, we already know that Jay Cutler just recently became the all-time Bears passer. It, it, but even then, he ranks down there. Oddly enough, Brian Sype, who's no. the answer I know, is only about 400 yards more than Cutler. Um, is Right? Because Cutler is like 23, 723, or 423. I think Brian Sype is 23, 723. That's a total parallel. Um, and by the way, there's only one franchise 
who has whose all-time leading passer has fewer yards than Cutler, and it's Houston with Matt Schaub, and it, that's only like 300 yards. Yeah, because so. the franchise is like four months old. Well, <laughs> I, that hasn't stopped, uh, you know, every, the Ravens. And, oh, we and, talked and, about you know, it during one of the podcasts when they played the, they played the Texans last year? Yeah. They did, yeah. And finally, about how know. Andre Johnson mm-hmm. is their leading receiver and has like three times the receiving yards yeah. of Johnny Morris does. Which, yeah, and so th- I think too that like it's uh, kind of like you and I have talked about how uh, how much attention was paid to the uh, the Cubs having had a black hole at third base between Madlock and Ramirez, or some would say Santo and Bryant because they're morons, but really the hole, the greater hole, has been center field. I'm not going to say this is greater than quarterback, but now that Cutler has actually you know eclipsed Sid Luckman, it is so unbelievably absurd that the all-time leading in Bears receiving yards has just barely over 5,000 uh, yards. Yeah, and it's, it's probably just barely alive. Yeah, well. Um, yeah. I mean, not to be mean to old Johnny Morris, but like most teams' receivers uh, all t- have, have occurred in the last 20 years only, it seems. And the, even then, even then, with that head start. There's, the yeah, there's no Well, my parallel was going to be Brian Seip and Jay Cutler. Was going to Otto Graham and Sid Luckman. Was Otto Graham this? Is he their second leading passer? Is I that, don't know, but it? he's there. He's easily the greatest quarterback in Browns history. Yes, for Just sure. Just like Sid oh, Luckman yeah. is still the greatest quarterback. In yes, Brown, in he Bears is. History. Even though Cutler, right? Well, and so I, yeah, because the championships. Because statistically, Cutler's better. Obviously, well, but than Luckman. You, you can't. I mean, I I wasn't alive. I barely was alive to see Sid be alive, much less to see Sid but play. But he obviously had to be awesome because yes. they dominated in one right. championship. Well, so let's. I want to quickly just highlight that, how interesting it is there. We're going to make plenty of comparisons because we haven't even gotten to who the Browns wide receiver is, which is kind of equally embarrassing in some context. Oh, I know it is. Position, but I know and you it's know, not but, a wide receiver. But I know, which makes it kind of more embarrassing for them. But uh, but the just to draw one positive comparison, you know, the Bears won four. They went to the NFL in the 1940s, any decade beginning with four. They beginning in 1940, they won four championships in six seasons or four championships in seven seasons. They appeared in five championship games in seven seasons. They were the class of the league and the Browns were basically what the Bears were the next decade. They went to every championship out of the uh, Eastern conference from 1950 until 55 six years in a row they went three and three just almost like just like the bears so very dominant there and then of course really neither team each or each franchise has each won one title since that era but um anyway back to uh the browns all-time leading receiver (laughs) who's not even a wide receiver it's ozzy newsome right (laughs) I mean, he, was a great, he, was, he was a great player, but he should not be an all-time leading receiver. Well, and, and imagine what a kick to the balls it is for Browns fans. And not only is it uh, – he's a Hall of Fame tight end, so he's in that conversation with Ditka, John Mackey, Tony Gonzalez, all these modern guys, whatever. Uh, he's there. But Ozzie Newsom also is one of the Browns who remained loyal to Art Modell. Yeah. And it worked out for Ozzy, let's say, because he became the Ravens' uh, general manager, I want to say, at least yep. for their Super Bowl in 2000. Another kick to the nuts. So their beloved player, their all-time receiver, is like a complete Judas for them. I'm not I'm not ripping Ozzy. He seems like a good enough guy. Yeah, well, so, yeah, there's there's the parallels with the quarterback. There's parallels with the with the receiver. There's parallels that they both teams have a very rich history that you have to be a historian <laughs> to remember most of it or to enjoy most of it. The biggest difference is that um, 
Ernest Biner never played for the Bears. So they actually went to and won a Super Bowl where uh, the Browns didn't get to go to theirs, although they probably would have got yeah. blown out in that Super Bowl. But That's right. Um, That's true. So, but and then there's the, the the other thing is when when you look back at the history, <clears throat> I mean, I, I get the idea right. All this stuff happened in Cleveland. But it's these aren't those Browns. Those oh, Browns are right. the Ravens. <laughs> Not according Other than to... the uniforms and the nickname, there's... They started over, and yeah, they've been but terrible the, since they started over. They had this. It, it's, it's funny because at a time now, it, it, it's perfect Browns, right? So the the cat teams come into the league, the Panthers and the Jags, and they're uh-huh. both good too fast. Yeah, both and go to the end of both go, go to the, the championship game in their second year, in their second season. And yeah. so when now when it's like okay, we gotta we gotta bring the Browns back by they themselves in '99, all yeah. the rules so that that wouldn't happen again. They made it a million times harder for the Browns to build their team because they were like, well, no, we made the Jags and Panthers too good too fast. <laughs> so they got screwed again to the point where when they brought the Texans in, they they, 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 they eased up the rules because, like, God, we really fucked the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we're just the, happy to have our team back. Well, the, no, you're not. The, you're... The, the Browns were the dead canary in the coal mine for, like, whatever adjustments they were trying to make. Uh, before they, wow. I mean, really what they got out of it, what they got out of art leaving was they got a new stadium that they don't seem to like, just like, just like new soldier field. Another parallel. Um, another parallel. Absolutely. The the factory of sadness right down there on the river. Factory of sadness. (laughs) Um, have you ever seen that video? The guy yelling at the stadium? I'll put it at the Oh, I may, I may have, I may have. It is. It's one of the great. Maybe maybe uh, if it's worthwhile, post. Oh, it is. One of the, uh, he's, he's a comedian who is a big Brown fan, and he basically he argues something about you are. I shouldn't try to recreate this. I'll put it at the beginning, but basically, like, look, I know I'm not supposed to be complaining about football because football um, football is not as important as the things in life. But you are supposed to be a distraction from those things. <laughs> Instead, you are a you you are a factory of sadness. That's it's, great. It's great. So ba- basically expressing universal pain that a lot of us, especially those of us that have rooted for the Bears and the Cubs and, you know, I think there are certain franchises in particular. The, the uh, biggest difference between the Bears and the Browns is that we can cling to 1985. A Super Bowl. That's the and only they difference. can't. That's right. Because theirs never happened. That's it. And they've never, yep. They're one of those surprisingly strong number of or high number of teams that uh, are much more laughable than the Bears in the last 50 years and in just the whole span of the NFL. But even if you draw it to 50 years, we've got the edge on the Browns. <laughs> they, the Browns and Lions are two, the only, I'm pretty sure the only two NFL teams that existed before the merger that haven't played in the Super Bowl. I haven't looked that up, but it's got to be the case. Yeah, because even the um, Cardinals went. Yes, uh, yeah, just once, but yeah, Cardinals have been slightly more competent. So, man, that's a rough. That's a rough. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get it, we'll get the, to that this the year. The that, Cardinals that'll be a, have been more confident that, than you were franchise. That'll be a fun one. Um, okay, one other parallel in the positive direction again. So the only the negatives are. Uh, 
well, and the Cutler is the bear. Basically, it's not from what era that is since since Luckman's been passed. But the negative is that they have, I believe, two of the three lowest all-time passing uh, yards, and they're probably the bottom two receiving yards, right? Because I I don't think I completed my research, but I don't know of any other team that had there is their all-time leading receiver someone with fewer than ten thousand yards besides the. I think it's I look because I was trying to. Is Ozzy had like eight thousand, right? I don't 8, even know. 000. He got to eight. I get seven. Okay. Something. Okay. Yeah, they're the but, only two that are close to that low. Even. But then another the a po- another positive parallel is that they had two of the greatest running backs in the NFL. So there you go. It was Jim Brown's record that Walter Payton broke in 1984. So there's that. Um, yeah, it's but it is it Jim is Br- funny that Jim Brown, the actor, he played football. Jim Brown, the actor, yeah, from the Dirty the, Dozen. Uh, I didn't even know the that. very one. <laughs> In 48 hours, I think. I might have that wrong. He's in any given Sunday, too. Is that right? I think Oliver Stone's going to make a football movie and not put Jim Brown in it. He's in draft day. Oh, Him see? and Bernie Kosar both. They show up at the end. Bernie Kosar. Well, there's another. Bra- yeah, well, that's why they brought it up because it centers around. Well, I mean, the, that's. The so, you know, Jim Brown is. Well, you have to say arguably because somebody can argue about it. The greatest player of all time. Who, oddly enough, never won a championship with the Browns because Paul Brown won all those titles before and he got Jim Brown. Brown had a great but short career, and then they won one more title with Leroy Kelly right after he retired. But yeah, no doubt, um, Brown only played nine seasons. One, one of the things I loved, one of the things I loved about, about Jim Brown was when it became clear to him it was inevitable that his record was going to get broken. It was either going to be by Franco or by Walter. He openly Which he was okay with Walter. He openly rooted for Walter. Because he Frank, he thought he was, Franco ran out of bounds too much. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, I like Walter. Walter, Walter sticks guys. Which, which, as a bear, we ate that up. Yeah. As a bear fan, we ate that up because we love Walter so much. Speaking for me, I've talked about this at length, how much I've re- I resented running backs on other teams, even though I had nothing to be insecure about because Peyton was better, but I really resented high-profile running backs on good teams like Tony Dorsett and Franco. And I just love, I just sort of like just luxuriated in Jim Brown completely coming down on Peyton's side during that. He, he, I mean, he was really kind of a dick about it. If you want to be objective about it, you know, I got nothing against Franco now, but Jim Brown was, was pretty big asshole to Franco and he made no bones about it, which is kind of, I'm sure the whole Steeler thing didn't hurt either. Uh, You know, so I, I said it and I paused before I said it, the Brown's the greatest player of all time. I was thinking because. When they did the NFL 100 Greatest Players, he was the greatest player. and Brown was? Yes. And Bill Belichick was, of course, he's the greatest football player ever. You know, the historian, me, I I don't think he's the greatest football player of all time. I think Walter Payton is the greatest football player of all Agreed. time. I think Jim Brown is the greatest running back of all time. And the Absolutely. distinction is, Walter could do everything. And Absolutely. mainly because he played for the shitty Bears, he got to do almost everything. True. Like, did go ahead and throw do we think passes. Jim Brown could have... Um, led the NFL in punting because I'm pretty sure Walter could have, or he could have, he could have played Walter. Could have, Walter could have I will played say, wide receiver. If you really need Jim, to play Jim Brown, Jim Brown was a track and field star at Syracuse. Well, yeah, he but was, obviously like running backs and line linebackers, running backs and linebackers are going to be your best athletes probably in the world to begin at, with. You're starting the, with that at the time, given the era he played in his size and speed combination was ridiculous. Yeah. Like yeah. when you watch films of that, it looks like, Ooh, why and did Pey- they? Why is the high school kid playing in the junior high game? I mean, that's, Pey- Jim Brown and is Pey- just 
Right. And Peyton, and Peyton was not an outlier like that. Peyton's thing was different. So, like, um, he, Brown was almost more like a, a, a paradigm. Peyton is the best football player. And what's interesting, I know this is anecdotal because you can't measure it, but in doing my Paul Brown research and Paul Brown, um, you know, he obviously appreciated Jim Brown, but Paul Brown was also a bit of an, an autocrat. But uh, it was pointed out that Paul Brown did get on Jim Brown for uh, his unwillingness or inability to block. And yeah. we know, yeah. no matter, not say that about fucking Walter Payton. If it, any proof, we talked about it last year. We covered Bears and Vikings, the Thursday night Jim McMahon yeah. game where he comes off the bench and throws two touchdowns. Folks, look it up. It won't take you but a second if you haven't before. And either the first or second of the two touchdowns, there's a blitzing linebacker that's got a straight line to basically knock McMahon out for another seven weeks. And Payton fucking picks him up and just takes him out of there. It's, when you watch it, it's amazing that he could get there. Like, no. you, don't, you don't think there's any chance that he could stop that guy from obliterating McMahon. And not only does he get there, he knocks that guy on his ass. He did. He wiped him out of the play. The guy never, never touches Jim. He goes from no. going to kill him to McMahon hardly even knows he was there. Peyton wiped him out. And that was not unusual for, like, that's nope. not like, we remember it because it's famous. We don't remember because it it's the only time he did it. Correct. Like, he did that shit all the time. Um, yeah, and I think that's why he, he ultimately earned Jim Brown's respect because as a running back, he really would he would not only stay in for one more hit before getting knocked out of bounds, and he would never, like Franco, will you know, elect to go out of bounds before getting hit, but he would he would almost turn it on its head by himself being the aggressor and delivering the hit before, you know, kind of being pushed out of bounds. So uh, a good example contact. of that is so last week, um Joe Burrow did the thing where he – it's a pretty savvy move for quarterback. It was. And he Mark ran Sanchez to the sidelines. Astute for pointing it out. And purposely, yeah. st- purposely stopped just on the white so that Robert Quinn would bump into him. It was brilliant. There, You and would then, see Walter, like, slow down by the sideline to get a defensive back to kind of let up and then turn up the sideline and just knock that dude on his ass and get, like, four extra yards. It was, like, the opposite <laughs> of Joe right. Burrow. <laughs> That's right. He would do that. That guy would fight for every goddamn last yard, man. And that's just him as a, as a runner with the ball. Um, you know, he threw, like you said, because partly because of the Bears' uh, unimaginative offense where they would try to bail themselves out by surprising defenses with a halfback option pass. He threw, you know, 10 touchdowns, um, threw a lot of passes there, actually lined up under center under emergency circumstances, which we've talked about. He could punt. I don't know if he ever punted in a game on a quick kick or anything. Um, but he could. I think he did. So he must have, because we somehow knew he could punt. Yeah, I know McMahon dropped a few third that third and thirty yard punts, but uh, supposedly he, he could walk the. Punt? He did, in fact, one of my all time favorite yeah. moments one that I'm great, sure I've talked about. Jim before. McMahon's greatest insults ever. Thaisman was criticizing <laughs> him for you know, punky QB shit, and he goes, "I don't listen to criticism from guys who can't punt more than a yard." Love it. Too bad. Are we playing? Were we playing the Washington National Football Team this year? We can. We can. Yeah, we can. I I don't know if we are. I don't think we are. All right. Anyway, but um, it was said that Peyton could walk the distance of the football field all 100 yards on his hands. Again, I mean, I don't like. You can go down that path, and Jim Brown was maybe just as good of an athlete because Jim Brown was a triathlete. But Jim Brown supposedly didn't block. We don't know what his receiving numbers were. Uh, He was very. He was kind of. 
I'm not going to knock Jim Brown, goddammit, because the gods will come get me. But he was a little bit relative to Walter, a kind of one-dimensional. He was a great running back. Give him the goddamn ball, and he's probably nobody better. But all around, it's just a football player, guy in the field that can have impact. Uh, you put Peyton ahead of Brown. And it fits into the narrative we had last year with the Lions, where he just one day quit. Literally phoned, literally phoned it in from a uh, from a movie set and said, "Wouldn't come back." <laughs> was he one of the? I think we talked. Was he like one of the six youngest Hall of Fame? And he's got to be if he retired after nine seasons, right? Yeah, I think. Pretty sure he was on that he's list. He's got to be. You know, it's fun. Had he hung around, you know, he would have. He would have been on that '64 team, which remains the last uh, championship that the Browns are in. And it was until um, until uh, the Cavaliers won in 2016, the last the net, uh, professional title in all four sports or three sports in their case uh, for Cleveland since then. But that, their, their 1964 is kind of uh, what the our 1908 was as Cub fans, and they haven't even made it back to the title game since then. Jim Brown's second youngest. After Gale. After Gale, and just ahead of Butkus, Earl Campbell yeah. and Barry Sanders. So uh, Earl and the two Bears were just beat up. And the other four? Or the three, uh, sorry. How, so. Maybe they haven't updated this. Oh, they haven't. Because uh, Megatron, pretty high on that list, too. I thought he was. But he's not a Hall of Famer yet, that's why. No, he is. He just got inducted this year. Ah, so it's They haven't updated okay. the list. okay. Get on the shit, ProFootballHallOfFame.com. <laughs> we need to make our jokes. There's a nice picture of uh, Gale with his afro, though. So it's going to make Excellent. sense. Excellent. So, yeah, the Bears and Browns head-to-head, just to tie a bow on it all and kind of maybe set this up for some memories I'm sure we do have. Um because they did play each other. Some games spring to mind. But, yeah, they were different. When the Browns came over in the NFL 1950, of course, the, you know, it, when they dominated this conference that Paul Brown helped start in 1946, uh, the Browns' success almost itself basically ruined the league because they were so damn good. And, of course, they were so good that even though they were kind of like an expansion team or whatever, they dominated their conference in the NFL, which had been like the Giants' domain and later would be the Colts. But because they were in that other division, the Eastern Division, the Bears wouldn't regularly play them in the 50s. Uh, in 60s. I don't know how the schedules worked then. They must have played a few times. You said they played 18 overall, so I don't know how many they would have played when they were both NFL teams uh, as opposed to being uh, you know, inter, inter-conference inter uh, opponents, which as we know can only happen nowadays uh, every four years. Uh, so what, for about what year was I ask this every week. What year was the merger? Uh, the merger was 1970 is the first official year. So the Browns were an NFL team uh, in 69, but then an AFC team. So they're always an NFL team, but they were all oh, right. 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 It became an AFC team right. in 1970. Yeah. So they played, Which there'll be some parallels there between the Steelers too. when we cover them, they played in 69 as, so that was just a, a chance intra-divisional NFL pre-merger Browns uh, beat the Bears 28, 24. Was that at soldier field or, uh, that was at Municipal. Sol- no, or, I'm sorry, Wrigley yes. Field. Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Is that Soldier Field? Sorry, the Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Correct. Oh, I didn't. So, so the Soldier Field thing. They, 1971. So uh, the NIU uh, Husky marching band got to play at halftime. I saw that because they were the first collegiate marching band ever to play in Soldier Field for a Bear game. 
1975. So they and didn't have like, any bands. What the hell did they do for the first four years? I thought halftimes back then oh. were all bail, probably I, high school bands or something. I'm guessing it was bleak as shit. Or it was. And did no frills. Hallis finally got it. Thought he was getting I think, into more. Seats. I think Vag and Ed would come down and play bridge. At, <laughs> play a hand of bridge. No, Ed tell would, the fans Ed who would, won, and then Ed I was would put on a, sing. Ed, Ed would put on a cabaret show. Right? <laughs> he would tickle the ivories, uh, as it were. And but yeah, because so they're play, celebrating the, some Cole Porter. It's funny that they're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Bears at Soldier Field while the Bears are actively trying to get out of their lease. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> and and they had already had to like you know sink money into redeveloping. Because as we the, the old place was such a fucking dump. It's funny to think that they didn't have any frills, not even the most basic, not even like the Lane Tech marching band uh, coming down. I, I got to ask my dad. I, I do know that, and I was telling a fellow this yesterday that I was I was at the Cubs game and I, and, and I was sitting next to a fellow that grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota, and worked at the Met Metropolitan Stadium, and he would, you know watched the Vikings and uh, you know and, and all that stuff. And I was you know. Um, uh, going into uh, you know the, the history of the of the Bears uh, and my dad's perspective, having you know had been a season ticket holder for about twelve years at Wrigley Field in the upper deck, you know along third base, which was perfect, I think, to watch football. You're a little bit of to be thrown into this oasis on the southeast side in this cavernous track stadium with no amenities and apparently no marching band, nothing around the stadium, which eliminated like the ritual that my dad and his buddies would have pregame and, you know, meeting up. It was just, it was a, a sort of a violent, uh, you know, uprooting. And, uh, and he would talk about it for years. Like, as a kid, I was like, Hey, I love the bears were great in the eighties. I love going to soldier field. I couldn't recognize objectively what a dump it was, but, but I, I, so I was always surprised that my dad would talk so negatively about it and wistfully about Wrigley field. But now I get it. <laughs> they didn't like those games must've been so depressing because they were a bad team too in the early seventies. I mean, when you I think about it, how did it make any sense that the, the state and the, the state basically built Comiskey park. And they didn't build it for both teams. Because, uh, I don't know. Well, because nobody wanted to share a stadium. Well, that's why well, they didn't he, do it. But the whole idea is if the state's going to build it, the, there ought to be more than one fucking team in it. Otherwise, well, Jerry should that's pay true. for it himself. Well, what's funny is that um, there was a trend of all those cookie-cutter stadiums in the 70s that Richie Hebner once said, you're at home plate and you don't know if you're in Philadelphia, uh, St. Louis, Cincinnati, or Pittsburgh. Um, And they were multi-use stadiums, had no charm. But Comiskey was always considered the last of those types of stadiums before Camden Yards. So it is curious that if they were still going to go with that mammoth design, why they didn't do that. I mean, I guess maybe the McCaskies and Reinsdorfs weren't aligned. Well, neither one of them wanted to share. They would have been. They would have no. been a quick conversation. They wouldn't have been hard to convince them to say <laughs> no. You don't want to do this, do you? No. Okay. Good. I don't either. Yeah, because the last, yeah, so. the last duel. Um, if somebody posted a picture of the last time we'll see the cutout of a baseball field on a football field, and that was two years ago when the um, Oakland when the right? Raiders left. And the Raiders, part of the reason why the A's need a new stadium is the Raiders completely fucked that place up. They call it, they have that whole weird, huge thing they built in center field they call Mount Davis. 
It's just this huge <laughs> skybox, like nailed down to the colloquial- side of it. Is that a colloquialism, or is it officially? Did somebody officially call it Mount? No, Davis? the A's bitch about it and call it Mount Davis because it ruined yeah, yeah. it ruined it's a big a part of their park. Pejorative. That's uh, well. That's what Raiders do, right? Yep, that's right. Just living up to the nickname. <laughs> way to way to play to the part. Um, so, how many times did the Bears and Browns play before nineteen? Well, before sixty nine. How many more times? It's fewer than five. It's five. Though they're both in fifty one, fifty four, sixty, sixty one, and sixty seven. Interesting. Okay. And so the Browns hardly any his- won four out of the five. Okay, yeah, Bears were mostly bad. Browns were still pretty good. Browns are really good, you know, up until the merger, really, I think. Bears kept it close a few times, though. Uh, it's in 64. They lost uh, 39 to 10 and 42 to nothing, <laughs> 24 <laughs> to nothing. Wow. For, oh, a big, big, a big offensive outpouring in 51. They lost 42 to 21. Wow. Yeah, they Man, didn't just jo- lose. They got their ass kicked. This rivalry oh. up until – actually, What's the Bears that? are very good against the new Browns. They, okay, right. they were not good against the old Browns. They were eight yeah. and three against the old, or three and eight against the old Browns. Okay, um, before we finish with the new Browns, or I don't know which direction we're going, but I, I do have a memory: the Bears' very first game after their Super Bowl, Soldier Field, yep. September 1986, and this is why I remember this. I was watching it, of course. Uh, and as we've talked about before, the Bears always started off four and zero, five and one, four and one. You know, for years uh, around the Super Bowl, and it was also the first season of a real instant replay system. Which we talked about this last year, and I remember finding a, a very insightful article. I can't remember who wrote it, and I can find it again. That had the whole history of instant replay. That kind of filled in the gaps for me, although I just can't remember them again. It actually they they played around with it in preseason games going back to the 70s. But 1986 was really the first time instant replay was going to happen. And honest to God, the Browns get the ball to start the game, to start the 86 season. So there are like maybe seven or eight games taking place across the country. And they go. I want to say they go three and out. And on fourth down, uh, the punt sails over the punter's head. There's mayhem. They kick it out. Nobody knows what's going on. And four plays into the new instant replay era, the very first, and this is not like in any way even almost related to today's instant replay. They had instant replay for a while until shortly after the Bears got screwed by it in 1991, and then it disappeared for a while. I can't remember when it came back. They've modified it, made it better, and it was really antiquated. Um but the very first uh, play to be reviewed in an official capacity on instant replay in an NFL game was the Bears-Browns opening day in 1986. So, and so who's, a, the Bears fumbled. Was it the Bears? that? Yes. Uh, it might have been the Bears. Yeah. Here's why. This is great. So the scoring summary of the first, first score of the 1986 season <laughs> is a gross fumble recovery in the end zone. Matt Bar kick. Because the guy's name apparently was Al Gross. It's but a they gross abbreviated it to a gross fumble recovery. That's great. Brown, That's so, so, but this is perfect Browns. So the uh, Browns take a 7 nothing lead. They're excited. Woo, here we go. Do you know what happened when they kicked off? Nope. Pinky ran it back 91 yards for a touchdown <laughs> to tie the game. I don't remember that. That's great. Yeah. Good old Dennis Gentry. And, uh, and the Wal- Bears, I think, went Wal- going Walter away, had right? a two, Walter, two-yard touchdown run. And then it Wilbur was, Marshall, uh, 58-yard interception return for, for a touchdown to yeah. end the quarter. It was 21-7 to at the end of the quarter. Yeah. But remember we talked yeah. last year about the weird 85 Bears 
Bucks game early in the season where the Bucks scored first 35 game of the points against the Bears. Uh, they scored no 28 all 28. in the first half. Okay. Yep. And the Bears won 38 28. First yep. game of the 86 season, Browns scored 31 points. Yep. I guess only 24 of them on offense, but. That's right, but still. Uh, still. That was like a. Well, and, and I think. I don't couldn't know blame what, that on Buddy. And the Browns, so the Browns are actually a good team that year. Oddly enough, this is a rarity in the modern era. It's still old Browns, not new Browns, because I don't think this has ever happened. Well, it's Bernie Kosar. Well, the year before, they were a weak sister NFC Central winner uh, against a, a, ba- a weak NFC, and they went to the playoffs and very narrowly uh, knocked off uh, the Patriots. Uh, I'm sorry, the Dolphins uh, in, a, in a divisional game. It was a great game. I remember Don Rogers, who eventually dropped dead a few weeks after Len Bias had some big plays in this game. Um when we were, you know, made aware of the, the, you know, of athletes and crack, but uh, so, but they were not, a, they were not considered like a real good team, but they won a watered down division, almost upset the Dolphins, and the next year they did go to the title game, and this was the season in which the Browns actually got closer to the Super Bowl than the defending champion Bears, yep. uh, and had the, you know, that the famous seven the point lead with two minutes to go at home, not the fumble, that was the oh, next that's right. year, this is the right? drive the, year, the yeah. drive was eighty six. Uh, and that happened in Denver, but they had no. It happened in Cleveland, and that yep. was the thing. Yeah, I was backed up to his. He was backed up to his like four, and there are all those you know sausage eaters are going nuts uh, with like you know plastic pig snouts on their face, and uh, and Elway just shoved it up their ass. And the next year it was actually uh, in in Denver on the road when Biner fumbled. So in back to back years, the Browns lost to the Broncos uh, in the title game in heartbreaking fashion. Back to back years, it's pretty rough. And then coincidentally, when Elway insisted on getting humiliated for his third straight Super Bowl uh, following the 89 season, uh, a Browns team, this time coached by Bud Carson, whereas Marty Schottenheimer had coached those 86 and 87 teams, uh, was also Denver's last stop in the title game. So uh, what is it, three out of four years, uh, the Browns were knocking on the door to the Super Bowl only to have it answered by a horse-faced quarterback who... Uh, would face his own humiliation two weeks later. So that was kind of their only, their last golden era, right? Of Browns one. Yeah. Except for Bill Belichick was a, their last coach in Browns one, right? Yes. And their last playoff team. And um, and the coach when they, when they left town. That was a right? coaching staff that had uh, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Got it. <laughs> That's so Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the greatest, the, the greatest pro football pro, coach, the pro the co- college football coach on the coaching same, at the same time. <laughs> they're on the same. They're fired at one, the same time. Fired one they're, for no good reason, other than the fact that Art didn't like him. Is that and, Belichick? Yeah, and then didn't hire. Could have replaced him with Nick yeah. Saban. I didn't do that. Now, in 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 defense of I guess Art Modell, Belichick was a. Decent coach, but he was kind of a guy then. Still, I think in most people's eyes. Yeah, but I don't. I doubt he got. Did he get so much better that when he got his uh, Patriots job, that all of a sudden he knew his shit? I have a feeling that you you should have been able to tell. I think. That, well, none of know, it mattered. None of good. it. But none of it mattered because once Modell pulled the plug in '95, and the Bears and the Browns should have otherwise played that year. I don't think they did because the bears played the AFC central, but I think that was because Jacksonville joined the league and for scheduling purposes, they took the Browns off the bears lost the Browns in 92. I remember watching that game, but uh, I don't think they played in 95, but I remember how depressing it was that 
Modell decided, announces that they're moving. They had, you know, fan support, but Modell couldn't get a new stadium and whatever. Uh, look it up if you're not familiar with uh, all the tragic the tragedy of the Cleveland fans getting their team, you know, taken from them. But because it was announced during the season, the fans like stopped going and advertisers took their bill. It was like really almost like this post-apocalyptic yeah. scene at Cleveland Stadium. Well, the last, the last game couple they, months of '95, we're tearing seats out of the thing, <laughs> throwing some on the field and keeping other ones. And yeah. yeah, it was just a weird thing. And uh, and that, I get you're right. That closes the chapter on the Cleveland Browns, even though logically and how the major league baseball, the NFL had always done it up until then. Uh, they followed, you know, the record should have followed to Baltimore, but because the outrage was so, so strong, the league decided to basically treat Baltimore as a, as a uh, expansion franchise. And I don't know if the decision was made right away, but the Browns, the current Browns, as you've, you've mentioned a couple times, are, are te- technically an expansion team. But somehow the NFL has like allowed the record keeping. It happened to, because uh, of resume. It, ironically, it happened because of Baltimore. When the Colts the went to Indianapolis, Colts. there was a lot of talk after the fact that they should, they should not have been allowed to take the Colts logo and records with them. It should have started over in Indianapolis. So their next chance to actually do that was the Browns. So that's why they They basically had made the decision then that if an established team moves, they have to leave their records. So in a couple of years, when uh, the Arlington Heights ponies start to play, (laughs) the bears will cease to exist until uh, some expansion team moves into into Soldier Field 3. That's fun. Well, because, yeah, now they've gotten carried away with it because I don't follow the NBA like I used to. But isn't there like, all right, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you you, you follow the NBA much more than I do. But um, I'm trying to follow. Are there still Charlotte Bobcats? There's a whole, like, what's the deal with, like, New Orleans? Um, There's something about there was an NBA interruption like that. And they really played fast and loose with the The Hornets uh, moved to New Orleans, and they started off as the Hornets. And then they rebranded, and they became the Pelicans. And then the and then Charlie got an expansion team, and they became the Bobcats. The, they became the Bobcats for the greatest reason ever. Bob Johnson, the guy who owned Black <laughs> Entertainment Television, named he was he was the opposite of Paul Brown. He named the team after himself. He they were the Bobcats because his name was Bob. And the Bobcats, which makes it worse. Yeah. It's just like yeah, and I'm nobody like nobody liked the nickname or whatever. So when they sold to the group that eventually handed the the keys over to Jordan, they were, they asked and they were allowed by the NBA to bring the Hornets back. So the branding, the merchandise, the records and all that stuff. For it, they started, purposes. right. They started over there. Okay. Hornets one are in new Orleans. Hornets two are in yes. Charlotte. But, but so from like, the records perspective. Um, so like Larry Johnson for all intents and purposes is a Pelican. If you yes. looked up his records, he's not. If, if they if they followed it like how baseball has always done it, right? Rex Chapman started off for the Pelicans, even though he never set foot in New Orleans. Got it, got it. He's but a, that's not how they keep it, though. No, he that's he's not. He would he, be in the Pel. He's in the Pelicans record book. He's not in the Hornets record book. Oh, okay. all they got, got was this. the uniforms back. They're still the, okay. 
Okay. Just to make things really right. confusing. Yeah, Jesus. But the Christ, NBA has yeah. the greatest example of why you should auto- you should force teams to rebrand. Utah Jazz. Right, when the New Orleans Jazz moved to Utah and became yeah. the Utah Jazz. Well, and let's be frank, the Los Angeles Lakers. Right, same same. I thing. mean, they're, they're by a body of water, but they're from the Great Lakes in the land of 10,000 lakes. So, you know. Uh, yeah. So that, so what, I think that we can close the chapter on Browns one. Yeah. They kind of went out because Browns two has, has two great games in bears history. They do. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm thinking of one right away. I'm not sure of the second one, but it was the second one that say the bears avoided, uh, avoided something more than they, they did okay. something. Yeah, of course, the one, I think the game you're thinking of is the one I immediately thought it's of. It's 0-1. November 4th, 2001, and Soldier Field. Same day, the same day that um, the Arizona Diamondbacks would win the World Series in walk-off fashion. Just wanted to t- connect those because yes. I remember it was a very big sports day. Um, and it was insane. It was the first time the Bears and Browns two were to play because the Browns two came back in ninety nine and 01 was when the divisions would play each other and they were actually pretty good in the third year um, and they were pretty good early in that yeah, they season were, they, they were four and two the, coming into the game the Bears at that were five point. and one and Butch Davis was their coach uh, was he not uh, former so. Miami Hurricane coach and uh, the Browns actually continued to ascend after that season until they they did make the playoffs I think uh, around oh three oh four oh five but. Uh, in 01, this game kind of spiraled them as it, it could, but it was the you know the game that most Bear fans would remember oh, yeah. was the, the the game that ended in the exact same fashion as the week before. But it's even more ridiculous because the Bears trailed 21 to seven with 28 seconds to go in the game. Even back up, if you're looking, are you watching? Are you looking at the game? Go back where it was 21 to seven, and the Bears had the ball, the, the possession before, and went for it on fourth down, like inside the tent, and didn't get it. And it was like, oh, this game's over. Like, like they had a legitimate shot earlier than the last possession, and it didn't. Uh, and and they had to go for it on fourth because that's how it was probably under two minutes. But they did manage to get the ball back. Wait, it was 21 to seven, right? With 28 seconds, but the, you know. They they had the other another crack. Shane, and our guy Shane, Shane Matthews, right? game of his yeah. life, threw a yeah. nine yard touchdown pass to Marty Booker. Bears recovered the onside kick, and with no yep. time remaining, as you would expect, he threw a touchdown pass to his halfback in the end James zone. James Allen. This was not James one where James Allen caught it, broke some tackles, and ran in. He caught no, it in the no, end no. zone. Little guy, little guy, laying on his back too, yep. sort of. I think right. If I, I'll never forget that. Obviously, it was absolutely bonkers and that was just to tie the game yes. but it was so that's just getting an onside kick and a hell mirror sometimes you get an onside kick and you have enough time to like get like four plays you know like it's a backbreaker they got the, but it was like onside kick and oh we only have time now to launch the ball it was like two almost consecutive right i mean i don't know if there were there any plays between the onside kick and the uh Hail Mary, probably maybe one or two, but I don't think they had. If they're twenty-eight seconds when they scored the well, it had to be at least one because I don't think they got the onside kick at the Browns' thirty-four. No, okay, you're not allowed to advance. That's right, the onside kick. So they they made a play and somehow got the clock. Well, they just rode Shane's big arm. Yeah, Shane had a Shane was okay in one. He got he started them. Miller took over. Um. And he also showed up at a Circuit City on Elston Avenue, and I happened to be there for some other reason and decided to get in line and get my black and white glossy uh, signed and gave him a fist bump, which seemed kind of new at the time. Yeah. 
Shane was down with it. Um, yeah, Shane. <laughs> Uh, that's a whole separate conversation, the 2001 Bears, but that was just, uh, that was obviously when they beat the Browns. Well, we didn't finish the, 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 the reenactment. Right, but, so the week before, this was the second one, right? This is the second another of the two. Another thrilling comeback. Not as, not as instantaneous, but. Well, the week before we had the satisfaction of uh, Mike Brown taking the ball off of Terrell Owens' hands. Absolutely. And returning it for the game, for the walk-off touchdown. Because Tio thought that Erlacher was going to take his fucking head off, which he, I think he was. He was. Um, but that game was also a ridiculous comeback because the Bears needed two touchdowns and two two point conversions. They were actually down uh, sixteen points with you know it's uh, maybe five minutes left or whatever. And Matthews was the quarterback in that game, and uh, it was one of the only times I remember David Car- uh, Terrell, who was a rookie and sucked ass and dropped the ball later in, against Detroit, um, but would absolutely have a huge catch in that game but it was like a that was more of a drawn out thrilling comeback whereas the cleveland one was a little more stunning because you were actually like this game's over yeah uh but yeah mike brown catches that that ball in the air that to tapped up because he was afraid of getting hit by Erlacher. brown runs it in for the walk off flash forward a week we get the onside kick the hell mary we're going to overtime again uh cleveland's got the ball was it tim, tim couch tim was couch god damn right it was tim couch the first pick in New Browns history. But, yeah, so what happens in the second consecutive overtime, Andy? Mike Brown, 16-yard interception return for a touchdown. And the game is over. It's just, just so out. nuts when you think of When you think about how nuts is that, that we saw that? But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the part that's not crazy is, you know, if the Bears needing quick strike touchdowns and – um, you know, the week before needing two two point conversions. Who better to draw that stuff up than famed Bears offensive coordinator John Shoup? <laughs> yes. The Bears did go to the playoffs with John Shoup as their offensive coordinator. Yes, they did. So what's the other Browns Bears? That's all I got for Browns too, because I'm thinking, all right, uh, 05, they would have been scheduled to play. That was the game that they lost when they started off one and three, right before, right after uh, Chad Johnson humiliated Erlacher. 09, I don't have a memory. 013, I think uh, they had a must win with Mark Trestman down the stretch, and they got it in December against them. So that was a win. 2017 was John Fox, so I blacked out. So that's what's the, the other one. game you're talking about? That's the that's 2017. Because it was week 16, and the Bears were hosting the 0-14 Cleveland Browns. And the Browns, looking at their schedule, this was their chance to avoid going 0-16. And the mighty John Fox, it was only 6-3 at halftime, Bears. But in the the third quarter, Jordan Howard, a 16-yard run, and Mitchell Trubisky ran for a four-yarder. The Bears won 20-3, leaving only the Pittsburgh Steelers in the way. The Steelers, who had already clinched a playoff spot, started Landry Jones at quarterback, and they beat the Browns, and the Browns went 0-16. (laughs) I'd forgotten the Browns duplicated the 2008 Lions, which is so perfect. But even better, they the year after, they went 1-15. Is that right? 
Oh my God! Yeah, Hugh Jackson. Uh, We're gonna get to Hugh well, here in a second. We're gonna go through well, the coaches. Hugh, Hugh Jackson is like climbing up the Ken Venturi ladder um, with a. If he was actually the coach through the entirety of both of those seasons. Yeah, Hugh was their coach, and when they went one and fifteen, and their coach when they went one and sixteen. Ouch! But another, he had a much a much more successful season. Salvaged his record. Uh, he also went one fourteen and one. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Scratch that. Scratch no that. Idea. Oh, I shortchanged him. Different, Two, different 13, and okay. one. Hugh Jackson career record with the uh, with the Bengals. Winning percentage of 088. 336 and one. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Has he coached since then? Uh, no. I've he coached always, the Raiders before it, not after it. I've always found it interesting that he spells his name H-U-E, like the color, or like my nickname, which comes from my last name of Donahue, as opposed to H-U-G-H. Oh, he could be Irish. He could be. Him and Shaq. Um, huh. So the the Browns have a lot of famous coaches. They're, um, of course, their winningest coach uh, is Paul, Paul Brown, Brown. right? Yeah, 158 wins, 48 losses, eight ties. Lots of people yeah. like to ties. He, <laughs> he is won, their Alice. He won four AAFC championships, 46, 47, 48, 49. Three NFL championships, 50, yeah. 54, and 55. He is uh, totally he won, their Alice. He won seven NFL conference championships, 50 to 55 and 57, whatever the hell that is. Yep. He was the coach of the year four times. Yeah, and he was and succeeded I'll... by their second winningest coach in Browns history. Do you know who that is? I don't offhand. Would I know the name? You will is recognize it... the name. I doubt you'd be able to picture him because I can't. Blanton Collier. No, I don't even recognize oh, the name. Seventy-six, okay. thirty-four, and two. Yeah, he well, took just them. Like, all right. Took them to the playoffs uh, seven times. By the way, I just want to say that my dad would use it as an argument against Jim Brown that Leroy Kelly led the league in rushing in his first year in the NFL, apropos of nothing. Uh, disregard the fact that uh, Neil Anderson fared rather well um, beginning in 1988. Carry on. Um, I did not know this. Maybe you knew this because he won coach of the year there. You know Forrest Gregg coached the Browns? What? 75 to 77. He was 18 and 23, but he was he was the, eight, the NFL coach of the year in 1976. Wow. So that was pre-Bengals. So he went Browns, Bengals, Packers. Yes. I knew Bengals, So he somehow, developed, he, he somehow wormed his way into Paul Brown's favor. Somehow. Yeah. He was an SMU guy. He was a Texan. So I wonder. Interesting. All right. Well, I learned something there. Forrest Gregg. Forrest was followed by. <clears throat> Sam Ritigliano. Sam Ritigliano. Yeah, that's the first coach I remember. Uh, really likable guy, and then we, you know, we see him years later coaching at Liberty. Like, oh, he's a wacko. But um, I always felt bad for him because they those are the Brian Sipe teams, and you know, I don't know. Maybe it's my nature being a Cubs fan and you know, like rooting for the underdog or whatever. But the Steelers were still kind of a menace even into the early '80s, I think. And they were in, a, in the Browns. Just couldn't get past them. But, of course, really famously, they had a playoff game. And we talk about, like, the Minnesota Vikings having some real nut-crushing playoff losses. But under Sam Rutigliano and Brian Sipe, all-time franchise passing leader, they had a playoff game, a divisional playoff game against the Raiders, who I believe uh, ended up winning the Super Bowl. I believe it was the 1980 season. They were 
they were in the red zone and were only trailing, I think, by two points, maybe 14 to 12 or 16 to 14. So game's over, and Brian Sipe got intercepted in the end zone. Um, just had to get that on the record because uh, it, it came to me. But that, uh, but that was under the great Sam Rutigliano. So Sam has an odd distinction where he he was the NFL Coach of the Year twice, and he has a losing record in his time in Cleveland. So the yeah. early the, years must have been bad. He yeah, was. He was the, he was there for a while if he succeeded Greg in the late 70s because I didn't even – 78 to 84. Yeah, that's a long time. Because so Schottenheimer came after him, I believe. Yep. There's a gleam. What's There's the, a gleam. That that's one of his weird pregame speeches that the NFL films like to show. I always thought he kind of looked a little bit like Larry King back in the 80s, but I don't know. <laughs> On the sidelines, those big old 1980s-style Sally Jesse Raphael glasses. Um, he was the guy, but Marty, Marty was the guy that took them to those, at least back to back AFC championship games in which they had their heart ripped out. Man, he was, he the, was uh, 44 and 27. He, when he coach, he won two playoff games. He was two, there were two and four in the playoffs. They went to the playoffs four times. And, um, he was the, they won three straight central division champions. 85. 80, and he was the coach of the year in 1986. Yeah, yeah. Eighty-six was their uh, best shot. It wouldn't have mattered again because you and I have spent so much time talking about this. We should probably write a book about the absolute singular dominance of the NFC in the nineteen eighties. Which, you know, the Bears only get a seat at that table because their one season was so spectacular. But it was really the Redskins, Giants, and Forty ers Bears were kind of right there, and then even the Rams and Vikings were okay. So it wouldn't have mattered really. Now that I think about it. Fort 30 years later had, uh, you know, they stuffed Elway in 86 or Binerhead or yeah, 86 or Binerhead and a fumbled in 87 because their fate could have been worse than what Denver endured. But uh, they were, you know, 86 was their best, their best shot at, uh, at making the Super Bowl, either Browns one or Browns two. I mean, if Brown, if Browns two even won a playoff game, they may have. They've made the playoffs since 1999. They won one last year. They beat the Steelers. Oh. And they, okay. I wonder if they had – did they have one? Okay. It's well, their good only for them. one. They have only been to the playoffs twice since they were Browns, too. Oh, my God. They so then you did like the, Butch took them they, in one year, and that was it. Holy shit. I'm looking at it now. So so new new Browns are like – even if you look at that in a vacuum, as, as sad as the last – 25, 30 years, and it wasn't even that sad. The Browns actually, the Browns' history is actually just so much distinctly worse in the last 20 seasons. I hadn't even really grasped that. Well, here's a good way to put it into perspective. They have had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. They've had six non-interim coaches, some of whom have coached multiple seasons who have fewer than 10 career victories with the Browns. That's Six. incredible. Since 1999, since Browns too. Yep. Um, Starts with the first one they ever had. The great, I'm sure he's the son of Brad Palmer, the professor, Chris Palmer. <laughs> yeah. So after Schottenheimer, they had Bud Carson. 
for two years. Went to playoffs once. He took him to the title game and lost to Denver again. He apparently uh, quit or got whacked he, during the he 90s He gave way season. to Belichick, right? Well, Jim Schaffner was the interim, and then Belichick took okay. over. Yeah. And Bill, yeah. they were 36-44 and 44 in his 80 games, but they uh, they won the the last playoff game they would win for a very long time. In 94. And then they were gone. They drafted Ray Lewis and whisked him off to Baltimore. <laughs> Oh, that's that's a great trivia fact. Drafted as a Brown, never played for the Browns. Drafted as a Brown. Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm I'm still recovering from the fact that it was not a mirage to see that the Bears, that the Browns team that the Bears came back on in 2001, was actually a good Browns team, even though they were only in their third year of their post-expansion existence. They did, in fact, make the playoffs yeah, the next year. And think- then you're right; it was freaking 18 years, and it required this COVID-enabled expand although they were legitimately good last year and they are now but they you know last year is their first playoff appearance in 18 seasons so they 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 basically outside of that anomaly of a playoff appearance in their third season is just immediately began setting new marks in futility well and it's funny if you look at the psychology of the browns butch davis gets them turned around and then they fire him And when Butch was on their ascendancy is when the Patriots under Belichick started to kick everybody's ass. So they'd already won a couple. So their next two hires after they fire Butch are Parcells assistant coaches, Romeo Cornell and then Eric Mangini. They're, they're basically trying to replicate the success that they thought they would have had, had they had a, their team not left and B, they not fired. Right, because right. Belichick, pre-expansion, pre-relocation, was the Browns' coach. Okay, <laughs> what a, the, the the hits keep on coming for Browns fans here. Yeah. So Romeo was twenty-four and forty. Okay, the, the man, awful. the man genius went ten and twenty-two. Who he, he himself was on his second uh, stab because yes. he had been the Jets' coach the year the Bears and it is funny because there are still people who will who will cape for Mangini saying that the Jets shouldn't have fired him. He actually was a good coach. That his biggest problem was he he has terrible like people skills. Okay. That he's a good coach, but he has terrible people. He also has a terrible lisp, which was what made it hysterical when ESPN hired him. I'm like, what are you gonna do? Dub him? It's gonna be like watching a watching a Godzilla movie, and Eric's mouth is gonna move, and you know, somebody's gonna yell his lines from behind. The, my, hey, that's, uh, that says nothing my, to do with anything. My first, the first thing I think of with Eric Mangini, and we're not playing the Jets this year, so I'll save it, or I, I should save it, but I'm not, is the year the Bears went to the Super Bowl. They played the Jets. Mangini was their uh, coach. Uh, Bears were very good that year. Uh, they beat him, I think, 10-3, to but Mangini tried to surprise the Bears by making an onside kick to begin the second half. Failed, and I think that was when the Bears – uh, through the 60-yard touchdown to Mark Bradley in one. So that's the first thing I think of. But that was before he was the Browns so, coach. But you're the one doing the Sopranos rewatch. Have you? I am. Have you gotten to the episode yet? Where, where the, I don't even know who it is. is this, I don't know if it's Pauly. Somebody calls him the Man Genius. Yes. Uh, Which I'm I mean was his nickname, it. but it was hysterical to hear it. During a Sopranos. Yes, episode. I've I've re I've binged the Sopranos once. I'm actually listening to the uh, Talking Sopranos podcast with Michael Perioli and Steve Sharippa. They did come across that episode and they did reference that. That you're absolutely right. Um, that Paulie 
made that reference. Yeah, I mean, because you know, the Sopranos was on between '99 and '07, and uh, and and it was towards the end because Mangini was their coach in '05 and '06, I think '06 '07. But he, so he shows up. I mean, I don't even recognize some of these coaches. I mean, part of that's me be, becoming more disinterested. Well, you know, older, is it you older? know the next guy. You know Pat Shermer. Is he? Yeah, Fritz's I know, I know the name. Oh, okay. Fr- he also was. He was the uh, coach of the Giants. He was an offensive coordinator for the Vikings, and yes. he's currently Vic Fangio's offensive brain in okay. Denver. He's a lifer. And and I, there, I did recognize the name. And there was and I Rob Chudzinski, former, I don't recognize, former tight end. And Mike Pettis yes, is I don't a, currently, Pettis. he's not on the coaching staff. He's a special assistant to Matt Nagy, which I'm sure the reason he is is when he was the defensive coordinator of the Packers, he outcoached the shit out of Nagy's offense four times in two years. Like, oh, literally Christ. made adjustments that, on our old podcast. Uh, Kyle... Lost his shit one night. We couldn't hear him, I'm sure, because his internet was crapping out. <laughs> Lost his yeah. shit about how uh, how Pettin is not that good a defensive coordinator, and that's proof that Nagy's a moron because he can't. He could never readjust to anything that yes. Pettin did. Oh, how depressing. So okay. they, they get rid of Pettin, and then they immediately think, oh, shit, maybe we shouldn't have, because that's when Hugh walks in. And, oh, my, oh God. my God. That, that is Venturi-esque. I'm looking at it, 15... Four, he was the coach. He 0 and 16, 1 and 31, 4 and 44. Oh no, Patine was the coach for their 3 and 13 team. Yep. He, and Jackson got whacked halfway through the 2018 season where they apparently turned it around with some coach Williams who they didn't keep on. Some coach, so that's that's Greg Williams, double G, oh, Greg, the, the headhunter, yes, bounty, the bounty hunter, the bounty hunter who had, had to serve a suspension. He's the, he's the Joey Pants of like yeah. uh, of Midnight Run. Yeah, and um, he's paying the bounty hunters, I should say. He was the the defensive coordinator last year for the Jets when they were going to win their first game, and he called an owl out blitz against the Raiders, and the Raiders threw like a 70-yard touchdown pass on like the, what would have been the second-to-last play of the game to beat him. He got fired for that, but people are like, Adam Gase fired him, the great Adam Gase. Or like, okay. I, thought the, I thought you guys were trying to lose to get Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> you know, Greg Williams took that T. I just have to jump on this because I, I happened to see it, just going down the, the rabbit hole, but Greg Williams as a head coach in that twenty for the twenty eighteen Browns team, he went five and three, turned it around. You'd think, but Hugh Jackson, he went two five and one, yeah. and and I only bring that up because Hugh Jackson was coming off an zero and sixteen season and a one and fifteen season. How in the world was two five and one not an improvement? Like why did okay. they decide to fire him well, then? So the thing you have to remember not- about twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen, the Browns were on hard knocks. And Hugh, the whole world got to see what a moron he was. Okay, but you, and you it think immediately put him under. Like I, I'm, I'm sure Look. there was pressure to fire him during Hard Knocks. Did they need HBO to to, to point out that they, guy no, they gone needed one HBO 30, to make it gone, public knowledge? But he'd gone one in thirty-one as was. a coach. He, like you have to almost right. make that assumption. And so. Um, that okay. that hard knocks is amazing. The offensive coordinator at the beginning of the of hard knocks was Todd Haley. You remember Todd? Oh yeah, Psych- a little bit of a psychopath. Yeah, and right? then he, Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator, and then um, wow. Bob Wiley, the gotta... old Bear offensive line coach, was you know, and 
you know, he's has this huge gut and he was doing all this weird stuff. And he was he was saying to one of the players, I don't know why we do all this stretching. Have you ever see ever see a lion stretch before it goes to chase a oh, he's one of those guys. Yeah, he's one of those dumbasses. So then they bring in they bring in Greg and he's just as nuts. And they they go five and three to finish it. But Freddie Kitchens was um, he became the officer coordinator when they fired the way, Todd Haley. It, it, at that point, it had been their best record since 2007, yeah. uh, seven, eight, and one. So okay, come on. the owner was convinced that, that because the thing that turned around that season was really the offense under Baker. Oh, oh okay. And yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. was we're going to, we're going to pair Baker with his offensive coordinator. Well, early on in the 2019 season, when Freddie takes over, Baker gets quoted as saying that his, no, they pull out a quote from Hard Knocks from the year before where he called Freddie an idiot. <laughs> oh. And Baker played it off was, we were just joking around. I called him an idiot. Like, hey, you're, oh, don't be an idiot. You know, not like, you're an idiot. There's a difference. Well, Freddie yeah. was an idiot. So Freddie got fired. And then they brought in, but they could tell they were starting, the, they had all those draft They had all those yeah. draft picks. This is actually starting the, the, the stockpile or- talent. This is the origin story of the team that actually right now, unusually, and unexpe- or it should be overdue, but is actually a really good team. Yes. Right? And so then they hired, they hired Kevin Spansky from the Vikings. Yep. And, and they, they, they finally fucking turned it around. And now they're because, you know, if, if you're looking at the, the franchise encyclopedia, you're seeing something that you don't see with the Browns and you don't see it with the Bears is left to right, the season leader, passer, rusher, receiver. When you see, like, you know, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid, or Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, like, you know, for five, six, that's when, you know, and you're seeing Mayfield, well, Mayfield, Chubb, and Landry, uh, three years in a row, uh, this year, so I got Najoku is currently their leading receiver, but yeah, they've got something going on after all the, after all the laughs we've just had at their expense and feeling better, uh, about our own sorry as franchise, considering like the disruption of their existence and just their general woefulness, um, yeah, coincidentally enough, this, this franchise might actually, uh, be doing some shit. All right. So I should have looked at these um, at the notes because these are pretty good. Forrest Gray got fired with one game to go in the 77 season. Basically, get out of here. Go away. And then he went to coach. All right. Even though he, but I'm, I was coach of the year. Sam Rotigliano got fired eight games in the 84 season, and his interim coach was Marty Schottenhammer. Are you just make you just well I, you're just making me jealous by the way more franchises right. that have interim had the elusive, multiple elusive interim oh, coaches. Oh no, the Bears will never, never have had. That's why the whole idea if you're going to spend money on Matt Nagy to be the first coach fired, just take that money and light yeah. it on fire. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's not okay. Happening. So, so interesting that Marty Schottenheimer, like Wayne Fonts, which makes it a little bit harder to detect immediately, went from interim coach to full time coach and was actually one of their more successful yeah. ones. But I didn't know that he replaced uh Rutigliano mid season. All right. Butch Davis quit eleven games into the two thousand four season. I don't know where if he ran off to coach North Carolina. It's I almost, guess where he ended up. Almost Bobby Ross like because they well they were coming off some rough times, but he'd taken the playoffs two years earlier. All right, and that's funny because so Kevin Stefanski was is the first coach to win a playoff game under the new Browns, right? Oh, that's right. What was but what was unique about it was he wasn't at the playoff game because he tested positive for COVID. Oh my God, that's so awesome. They, Mike Pryfer was the acting okay. head coach. Who who Stefanski here, came who, back for the game against the Chiefs and they lost. It's funny because uh, that took that wiped Bill Belichick from the Cleveland Bucks. So at one point, Bill Belichick was the last coach to win a playoff game for two franchises. 
So, but no, but no more. Kevin Stefanski's there. So that's quite a uh, quite an assortment of something. Yeah, it, but it looks like their uh, their suffering might at least be alleviated for a while. They got they do have a good team, and I know you talk with Mike about the current teams. It's probably going to be ugly for the Bears, but um, well, uh, we just because that one is already posted. We both picked the Bears to cover. Oh, what's the line like? It's Seven over. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I might bet on the Bears there because I think Fields might post. So, it. and we also had no. wondered if. Um, for those of you who've made it this far in the podcast, you might as well tell you. So we, Mike and I recorded a podcast on Tuesday night, and we had audio problem that we didn't realize for like the last half hour. So we just re-recorded it on Thursday. And so there's a point where we're both wondering if the line moved when they ruled Andy Dalton out. And? And it didn't. But what I think was, had Andy, had the Bears switched, said, hey, Dalton's healthy enough to play. And yep. that line would have gone it up. It might have moved the other way. It would have gone up. I guess it would have been, I bet it would have been 10 and a half. I think the, now part of it is with the Justice Fields thing is, um, I'm sure Vegas thinks it gives them a better chance, but it also increases the number of dopey bear fans who are going to bet on the bears to cover so they can hedge. They don't have to raise the line and get the same amount of action. Yep. So. Yep. Huh. Um, by the way, whatever that that war equivalent metric that Football Reference uses called AV, uh, I don't know how they arrive at it, but I'll just trust it for oh, these purposes. Greatest player Jim of all Bra- time, Jim Brown. Craig is not Krenzel? Jim Brown. It's Craig Krenzel. It's not, what, no, in the Browns' history, it's not. It's not Jim Brown. Oh, it's um, Kevin Mack. It is. <laughs> it is uh, Webster Slaughter. Oh, um, oh. it was no. no. It's Clay Matthews. Oh bullshit! I know, oh, right? Yeah, well, it's a lineman it who played, or, or not as a linebacker. Bruce was the other side. So linebacker who played for like what seventeen seasons? Yeah. So it's clearly yeah. a it's a it's a he accumulates that. Stat. Yeah, it's a yeah because yeah Brown only played nine years. Well, well, so is War, I guess too. The War is it can go backwards, but it is uh, cumulative ultimately. Um. Yeah, it, it, it's. I'm just struck by the fact that these are two teams that have a very proud ancient histories that have been in the league for 70 years, and they have had so little interaction with each other, and they and they have like very similar sort of a founding presence, I, a sort of legendary. That all know. ends now with I would think uh, this is probably the Super Bowl matchup for the next five or six years. Uh, sure, yeah. It's pretty much Yankees, Dodgers, or you know, People Steelers, like, Cowboys. Do you remember there was a time when the Bears and Browns weren't <laughs> going at each other every February? I don't. Hard to believe. <laughs> Justin Fields and Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hard. Pre- I'm impressed that I came up with Webster Slaughter. Like, I'm hard pressed to just come up with random Browns. That's I just, because like... every all most Browns are random Browns. They, well, right, like you know, Ozzy is a Hall of Famer. Brian Seib, you know, I lo- I was rooting for those Browns. Well, I mean, teams they had their I, they I had that great LA run of, of quarterbacks. It's like the Bears, you know, the Bears. We tick off like. Did Krenzel ever play for the Browns? I don't know. He played for the Bengals. No, but he went to Ohio State, so he's familiar with the streets so, of like, Ohio. Craig Krenzel and Will Fuhrer and Peter Tom Willis and that stuff. They've got like Charlie Fry. Oh yeah, Good and um, Derek Anderson and okay. Deshaun That's Kaiser. True. Well, and, and probably they got a million. There's a million of them. They were same like the Bears. The four or five guys would play quarterback for them in a season. Be, basically, just another Brady parallel. Quinn. 
on the negative. Yeah, I remember Brady. Brady Quinn. I think they probably burned a high draft pick on him, right? Do we, well, he yeah, he but he drafted him. He he did the Aaron Rodgers thing without the excellence. He slid. He sat at the table and watched pick after pick after pick go. Is that what it was? And yeah. I think they were obviously. I don't think right. he went quite as low as, but everybody thought he was going like really early, and he was just sitting there. God, I had high hopes for uh, Brady Quinn when Charlie Weiss and his front butt came to town flashing the Super Bowl rings. With He basically ridden Bill Belichick's coattails on. Well, he's handsome. He was. And his, did I mention the front butt? Yeah, he was the, yeah. He was not handsome, but Brady was. Yeah, no, yeah, he was. Still is. He, and he's Mr. Mr. College that, Football now for Fox. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, 22nd pick. So he just it. almost exactly like Rodgers. People had him, you know, pegged to be a... Well, with the Rodgers thing, the weird thing about the Rodgers thing was he was almost the number one pick. It was either him or Alex Smith. Alex and Smith. then he doesn't go till like, 23. Yes. And then he sat on the bench for three years. Yep. And then the one time he got in during those... Um, so Favre gets hurt. But of course it's Brett Favre, so it's it's not going to be a an injury He'll that's going to keep him. Yeah, he's going to be back the next week. Killers. Rogers yeah. goes out, breaks his foot during the game. Oh, like his I first chance that. to get a run as a as a quarterback because yeah, Favre yeah, went out yeah. fairly early in the game. Rogers is out with a broken yeah. foot. Yeah, and Prob, Favre probably just went back in with a broken hand. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just yeah, play yeah. left-handed. Oh, we were so close to never having to put up with the Aaron Rodgers era. <laughs> I know. That's the year we drafted Cedric Benson, 2005. Well, you know, the Bears weren't in the market for a quarterback. Because hadn't they drafted Rex, Rex the year before? Two years before. The Tommy was the year before. Oh, yeah. Well, that one uh, they did all right with. Yeah. Yeah, they did all right. Yeah, but, you know, the, the Tommy Harris pick is like the one time where a team – actually, um, well, the Bears have done it a few times. They they've tried it a lot of times. Remember Pat Riley, draft the guy yes. coming off the injury. Well, with Tommy, yes. the whole thing was he's a great player, but because of his it was his back, I think, right? Or his knees, back. Yeah, he, he wasn't going to have a long career. And the Bears basically said, "We don't That's care. Right. He's going to be great." Well, we have him, and he was. The problem was he crapped out. Like they just needed to get like two more months out of him. I know. I know, I, I, know. I shudder to think what he could have, what he would have done in the rain to those to that Colt offensive line. But he I wasn't know, around to do it. We had Tank Johnson instead. Nope. Yeah, um, had, the other guy would be they got they got Eddie Jackson in the fourth round because Eddie had had a broken foot the year before in Alabama. It was well, the only reason years, he was still there. And for a couple years, then in that case, that actually worked out. But yeah, that's a risky. Oh, Eddie's back. Wow, Eddie's uh, back. Forced to fumble, tackle for a loss last week. Yeah, he got tired of me well, berating him, and now he's going to be back to all pro. Yeah, I can't wait. With bated breath. But yeah, I mean, we could do a whole thing on uh, terrible Bear and Brown draft picks, I'm sure. Well, yeah, because I'm wondering how many busters, like Tim Couch has to be considered a buster. Like, how many quarterback busters did they have? How many running back busters did they Because we had, like, quarterbacks, Bears busters, just off the top of my head. You know, McNa- I'm not going to call Grossman a buster because he took him to the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, uh, McNown, you could almost call Harbaugh a freaking buster. He's a first-round pick. Running backs, though, Rashad Salam, Cedric Benson. Uh, Curtis Enos, I mean, some all-timers there. At least Salam got a thousand yards. Uh, Enos and 
and Benson was was Enos is really the worst. But um, and you know, I don't know if he, you can't even consider Trubisky a Boston quarterback because he's amongst the franchise leaders. All right. So do you want to hear the passing uh, yards? I don't. Well, I'm tempted to just go. So yeah, the, <clears throat> I'm not going all through all these guys. Milt Plum, of course, a great quarterback for them for many years. Sure. Frank, Frank Ryan, Mike Phipps. There's a there's a good yeah, bear, bear connection. Yeah, part of that troika. He was succeeded by Brian Sight. Oh, Phipps of the Bears. Uh, and then Gary Danielson. They had a lot of Bernie Kosar. At the end of Danielson's career, they had a pretty good run there. Then between Sype and Kosar, um, I'm surprised Kosar didn't play long enough to surpass Sype. He's got to be close. Well, it, part of that was uh, Belichick. But first benched him and then cut him for Vinny Testaverde. That actually yeah, was a Ryan big part of why Belichick got fired. It was part of why he was so unpopular. Was because he, Kosar he was got incredibly popular. Problem was, was Bert, Vinny played well for them. Yeah, Bert, which kind of ruined. Vinny had the, figured figured out his color blindness or something and was actually turning it around. Well, the color blindness thing. This is the to me that was. I remember this as a well, not as a not as a. You talked was, about it. The fact that the Bucks. Yeah, home uniforms look like the yes. other team's road uniforms. Yeah, it's an opposite. They create. He couldn't tell the difference because the light, that light orange, yeah. was basically the same color. So that's great. You draft this guy number one overall. Change your fucking uniforms. Yeah. So he when they come back, awesome. this is when the quarterback bums really show up. Um, yeah. So they start with uh, Tim Couch and Ty Detmers as backup. Right, so Couch really had to be a buster. He was the then first pick a, in the draft. Then uh, Tim must have got hurt his second year because it gave a lot of starts to a future Super Bowl winning coach. You'll never guess. Uh, McVay? No. no. He didn't want a Super Bowl. No, it's a fit when he didn't play in the NFL. Sean Payton? No, he played in the NFL. Oh, wait, what? It's a relatively recent Super Bowl winning winner. And he was a former quarterback. Probably Played best on. known as a Brett Favre backup. Uh, Brett Favre backup, like not Mark Brunel. Uh, shit, lay it on me. I'm missing Doug something Peterson. obvious. Oh, yeah, of course. Peter, yeah, 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 yeah. So then Couch comes back. He got to start all 16 games in 01. Then Kelly Holcomb. I remember Kelly, Kelly Holcomb. Kelly Holcomb. Holcomb played in a, in a playoff game against the uh, against the Steelers when um, Tommy Maddox went nuts and the Browns blew another lead in the Steelers one. That was been their other. We about that. That was the Carson Palmer. No, that was the Bengals. My bad, yeah. my bad. I'm sorry. Holcomb was their quarterback in their first playoff appearance. That yep. Couch was hurt. Okay. Couch had to be hurt, or they, did they already give up on him? Because that was 2004. That would have been – Couch would have otherwise been like a 26-year-old. 2004, he was gone. Jeff Garcia Jesus. was their primary quarterback that year. I remember that. And the great Luke McCown, Josh's brother. <sighs> Josh's brother. But not related to Cade McNow. Then they gave, they gave Trent Dilfer a spin. He split time with Charlie Fry. Then Derek Anderson split time with Charlie Fry. Then they did it again. Yeah. Then 2008, they had a bear-like season where four guys started at quarterback. Derek Anderson, nice. Brady Quinn, Ken Dorsey, and Bruce Gradkowski. Another Mac quarterback. They had a couple uh, Mac Did you remember that Jake DeLome played for them in 2010? Nope. Nope, nobody remembers that. Not. Not, Jake nope. probably doesn't remember that. Colt McCoy and Seneca Wallace. Colt Br- McCoy. Brandon Texas. Whedon from Oklahoma State. Started yep. 15 games for them in 2012. Was that the year they went uh, like one and 15? I don't know. All right. No, that was I the, was just, I that was was the Deshaun Kaiser 
season. Oh, 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 yeah. 2012, they actually... And they tried uh, Colt McCoy, but still playing in the NFL. Um, when Colt McCoy, Jason Campbell, future Bear. For, uh, what year? Or no, this? This is four, 13. Yeah, former Bear. Former yeah, bear, the, he was the right. Bear the year Between before. Washington, Oakland, and the yeah, Bears. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 sure, sure. Brian Hoyer got three starts. That was a future bear now at this point, but another yep. from today's perspective. Brian Hoyer started four, started 13 games in 2014. A guy who started two, Johnny Football. Johnny oh, Manziel. They had Manziel. Uh, you know what? We almost ended this podcast without mentioning Manziel. Another infamous, ignominious draft pick. Then 2015. Well, that's another one of their quarterback boss, too. Luke McCown's brother started four, started eight games. Josh McCown. Former bear. So wait a second. Three straight years in a row, their leading passer was a former or future bear. I'm seeing a lot of yeah, the parallels are not a I'll tell you why you don't win much. <laughs> Listen to this bunch. 2016. Cody Kessler. Robert Griffin the third. RG3. Or as they call him on um as they call him on the Dan Patrick show, Robert Griffin Jr. the third, because one of their callers called him that one time. Robert Griffin Jr. Wow. the third. And Josh McCown. And then uh, Kevin Hogan got one start in the winless season. Deshaun Kaiser got the other 15. And then 2018, things calmed yeah, down. Yeah, the, the laughs come to an end. Yep. They are, they are to on. Rod, to Rod Taylor started three games. You know, he's not Tyrod anymore. Even, even if they step on their dick going forward, this is, no matter what, this is the golden age of Browns yeah. two and football. Because Baker uh, Mayfield has parents. now started started every game in 19, every game in 20. He started yep. 13 games in 18, and now he'll start his third game on Sunday. Okay, so basically Sunday, Even though for all the world it looked like he separated his shoulder, tackling a guy in an interception last week. He, like, limped yeah, off the field, his arm pinned to him, and he came right back. Yeah. Well, they might have something, and it might push them ahead in this decades-old sort of taffy pull amongst once-proud franchises that just can't get out of their own way. Looks like Cleveland might be pulling ahead, and they can demonstrate that on Sunday. So the by the end of this season, if he stays healthy, <laughs> Baker Mayfield will move. This is amazing. How so, close to side? So they'll play 13... 30- by the end of this season, Baker Mayfield will have played, will have started the fifth most games at quarterback in Browns history. And that's total Browns. The guys Browns ahead of him, Brian Sipe, Bernie Kosar, Frank Otto Ryan, Graham. and Otto Graham. Wow. That's uh, not that we needed any further punctuation on the similarities between these two franchises, but that's certainly. Uh, but you, unless, unless catastrophe hits you're about to see a bear quarterback do the same thing yes justin fields will so. he hopefully he stabilizes the position yeah, for the next 15 even years if he's like blows a relative, through everything yes you know cutler proved it was not a high bar because cutler was good but so maddeningly inconsistent and disappointing and he just he stayed upright enough is all it took all you have to do is stay upright for five years and you Will be the next Bears all-time leading passer. I would Five like years to. Is all it takes. I would like a, a time if. Well, I've had time to use it for a lot of better stuff than this. But uh, one of the things I would do is I would go back and I would uh, make sure that Mike Martz never became the offensive coordinator for the Bears. Do you think he fucked them up? Because that was the one year they went to the title game. You know, they it was, it was the he they were running 
an offense that had passed its usefulness like four years before. And, you know, they got rid rid of Greg Olson. They just did a lot of weird personnel stuff that set them back after Martz left. They'd okay. gotten rid of they've gotten rid of solid players, and they didn't have enough of them. The other thing they did under the whole Lovey regime, as much as I like Lovey, the priority was always defense, always. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even when they make the trade for Cutler, when they Jerry still Angel made the splash. Yeah, yeah. they didn't. They, they drafted didn't. defense. I mean, Greg it took them a it. long time, and then they finally went out and got oh, yeah. got Brandon Marshall, who brought his own baggage, and that was probably destined to be a short term success before he had to go. Paired him with Alshon. And yet, and that even in those three seasons, Brandon Marshall came so close to becoming the yeah. Bears' all-time leading right. receiver. Right. If he if he stays, if he played out his entire if he, if he kept his head. If he because he had more one more seasons. year on the contract when they yeah. when they, they traded him, right? Um, uh, or they I'm, just I'm, cut I'm, him. I can't remember if they, uh, the NFL does no, all kinds of I'm going to look it up because he, I am he, curious. he would have left as the all-time leading receiver. It would have been four years, right? It would have been uh, he played for the Bears because you know, we know that, um, that that Johnny Morris is just over five thousand. Uh, Brandon for the Bears was three years and uh, thirty five three thousand five hundred twenty four right. yards, so over a thousand a year. Had he played two more years, yeah. which five years he'd be the all time leader. Well, yeah. And so I don't want to I don't want to be redundant, but I like this, so I'm gonna we're gonna talk about it again in this one. So. If Allen Robinson plays this year and next year, he will become the all-time leading. Oh, is that right? Receiver. Good, because he's probably the best receiver for the Bears I've ever seen. So what, what, what Pustera and I were talking about during the, during the preview podcast for the Browns was him dropping the touchdown pass from Fields. It was a perfect pass. Yeah. And, it, and so yeah. I, I ticked went, off. Went the bat, the, the I said, you can't blame Allen Robinson. It's the, first, it's the first perfect pass that's ever been thrown to him, and maybe in his lifetime. We don't know who his high school quarterback was, but we know his college quarterback was Christian Hackenberg. And then we know his quarterback with the Jags was Blake Bortles. And then yep. we know that his quarterback with the Bears was Mitch. This is the first time he's ever played with a real quarterback. Okay. All right. Yep. So it's going to take him a while to get used to the ball actually being where it's supposed to be. He's put up some numbers, but I got you because uh, this season included both games, he's at 3,210 yards. So he should be over 4,000 by the end of the year. We don't know what's going to happen with his contract, but if he's well, managed to be around game. next year, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but, get an extra game. So he should be, well, should, he, he should it, have. Well, it, a, feels, it feels he could do it this year. Fields really goes off. Well, I, I, receiver, I already did the math. It's, it's, he has to, he'd have to set, he'd have to break Megatron's record. I feel, what's a single season yardage record? What is it? Is it over 2,000 yards? I don't even know. And I'm kind of embarrassed. It's 1964 or something. Okay. So it's not as much as a single season rushing record, but it's, so it's not even 2000. So yeah, he's not going to do it this year. Well, no, he could, but he has to average like 150 yards. Well, he's got to set the single season record with a rookie quarterback who we're all very optimistic about, but yeah, I don't really. Yeah. 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 That's where we're at. That's uh. Uh, like a, Johnny Morris with his barely 5,000 yards still being our all-time leading receiver. Um, yeah, I know Cleveland's got their 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 tight end uh, with a little bit more, but they're equally embarrassing. Yeah, I was right. All-time record is is um, 1,964 yards. Interesting. Calvin had to average that. hit average 123 yards a game to get it. The year before, he gained 1,681 yards. God, he was incredible. Uh, we, yeah, I, I know they're playing the Lions next week, and I don't know what we're going to be doing, but it, 
it it never gets old to point out how the Lions just wasted so many great years from so many great players. But that's a topic for another day. And we've talked about it before anyway. So got to right. gotta remember we're talking about the Browns. Ah, uh, the Browns. It's great to have a franchise that we can they have a little, have a little of, a, of a cushion below us. Two weeks in a row. Because what I learned last week was well, three, three weeks in a row. Part of the reason I like right. I mean, part of the reason I like doing this is that I, I'm always humbled that people like to listen to it. Some do, and you know, it's therapeutic for me. But I also learn a lot, and I never quite appreciated like for the the Bengals were so obviously one of those teams that are have had a worse history than the Bears. There's more than you would think. It doesn't take away the pain that we've had to endure, but it is fascinating that there are so many teams that have been worse historically. And because the Browns haven't even been to a, a Super Bowl, they, they clearly are on that list. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think the thing that makes it, that's made it worse for Bear fans is it's not just the lack of Super Bowls and that kind of stuff. It's the fact that while the team we hate the most has yeah, had yeah. 25 years of Hall of Fame quarterbacking. Yeah. <laughs> we have had the worst assortment of quarterbacks in NFL history. I think worse than the Browns even. I don't think it's even worth going well, we don't have a team. We, I mean, if, so if Jim McMahon played as long as Bernie Kosar, then the Bears would clearly be better would be better situated. But he did, and he only played you know, yeah. a handful of seasons. And, and It happens. And so we don't have the equivalent of – and Bernie, that's not a huge bar to clear. Well, Bears can't clear it. That's how <laughs> no. that's how low it is. We can't get over it. So. Yep. Yep. Someday, perhaps. All right. Well, until next week. You got it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Many of us have herpes. 